Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. If you are, um, if you're at home watching online uh, and you can't make it in to get one of the annual reports, uh, if you have our church app. Um, the report is on the church app right now. And so whether you're here or at home and you, if you don't have the, it with you, you can just go on our church app. If you don't know how to find that, um, just on your phone, look in the app store under church app and it'll pop up and you can look up Beaver Lodge Lions Church and you can get that. And you've got announcements and activities and all kinds of things that are happening on the church app. Awesome. Well, I'm uh, Greg Clark. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's my privilege to be here with you today. So exciting to have you all here. Uh, I became a a Christian. I should probably first say that today's a good day, shouldn't I? That's a good day. I became a Christian back in 1993. Isn't that fun? Back in 1993, which for some of you is not very long ago. For some of you, it's like back in the 1900s. Woo! That's a while back. I remember uh, in that time when I became a Christian, listening to testimonies from famous speakers who came to Jesus and who had been radically changed. I heard about drug users and alcoholics who stopped using drugs and alcohol immediately after finding Jesus. It was like that night they gave up all their stuff. I heard about gang members who stopped all their nefarious activities and led their fellow gang members to Christ. I, I heard about womanizers who won back their wives and now have outstanding and amazing families. I heard story after story of people whose lives had been radically changed in an instant after meeting Jesus. These testimonies were meant to be inspirational, and they were. That's inspirational, isn't it? It's exciting to hear these stories. But they were also, I found, I don't know if you found this all as well, but I found that they were inaccessible. I mean, first off, not many people have that kind of a testimony. I was never a heavy drug user growing up on the streets of San Francisco on my own since the age of three, who miraculously had a complete freedom session with Jesus and never looked back. That wasn't my story. Not many people actually connect with that. It's inspirational, but it's not super relatable. But the bigger problem, I think, than just this not being really relatable is that most of discipleship isn't really like this. Most people do not experience a night and day change in their sin patterns, like some of the superhero testimony people. For most people, soul care, freedom, and life change is a much longer process with jumps and sputters and false starts and hiccups and roadblocks. Yes, Jesus brings freedom. And yes, sometimes he does stuff overnight and it's miraculous and it's exciting and it's wonderful. But often, walking out the freedom that we find in Jesus is a lifelong journey full of ups and downs. And in the middle of those ups and downs, I I find that there is a heavy dose of God's forgiveness and his grace. And that's what we're talking about today. We're in our Be Like Jesus series, where we are answering the question, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? And what real, intentional, and actionable difference does that make in my life today? 
The passage we're in today is Matthew chapter 18. If you saw it on Facebook, we have a Facebook page, and uh, Pastor Amy put it up this last week that we're going out of Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. So I, I hope if you saw that, you had a chance to read through that passage. If you're not on our Facebook page yet, get on there. We're going to try every week to put out uh, what we're preaching on so you can read ahead and, and, uh, and know what's coming. So get on and check out Beaver Lodge Alliance Church on, the, on Facebook if you haven't done so already. Now for our message today, all of Matthew chapter 18 is one conversation. Now we often, um, if, you, if you got an NIV Bible or some of the other Bibles, they have these little headings every few paragraphs. And sometimes what we do is we break up the Bible that way. We read just that one little section that's under that heading that deals with, oh, the shepherd. So we read about the shepherd in 10 verses, and we forget that that passage actually was in a much larger conversation. And so all of Matthew chapter 18 is a conversation between, we, we love the sound of babies, by the way. So just FYI, that's a fantastic noise. It's life. But I'm going to speak up loudly so you can hear me and the babies at the same time. We'll see how that goes. So don't run away if you've got a baby, or do. I don't know, whatever. But Matthew 18 is a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And, and most likely, it's Jesus and his 12 closest disciples, the ones we call the 12 apostles. And this section of Scripture comes on the heel of a really amazing moment. In Matthew chapter 17, there's this thing called the transfiguration. Now, if you don't know what that is, this is where Jesus, Peter, John, and James went, on top, went up to a high mountain, and when they were up there, Jesus was momentarily transfigured into his glorified state. Like, he shone uh, brilliantly. Um, it was like the heavens parted, and heaven was seen for a moment. And Peter, Jan John, and James get to see this. When this happens, when Jesus is glorified or, or transfigured for a moment into his glorified state, a voice comes out from heaven saying, this is my son, listen to him. It's an amazing moment, and you can read more about it in Matthew chapter 17 later. But after coming down the mountain, at the end of chapter 17, Jesus and his disciples are, are asked, asked to pay the temple tax. They're asked to pay the temple tax. And Jesus mentions an interesting thing here. Jesus says, the sons of the king don't need to pay taxes. But, they will, but, but Jesus says, but we will pay the tax anyhow so as to not cause offense. It's an interesting little moment. But likely the, the disciples are putting these two events together. Likely they're noticing the transfiguration and they're noticing what Jesus is saying here. So Jesus is on the mountain in all of his glory. His father calls him his son. And a short moment later, Jesus says of himself and his disciples, the sons of the king don't need to pay taxes. Now, what I think happens here is that the disciples all of a sudden start to think, hey, we are the sons of the king in this amazing we are, Jesus has lumped us together with being sons of the king, and the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming. So I want you to be thinking of this, because it goes directly from this to the first verse of chapter 18. 
And if you just started in chapter 18, you would have a different understanding of this next verse. But look at chapter 18, verse 1. At that time. Now, just whenever you start reading a section of Scripture, and it says something like, then, therefore, at that time, something like that, you should stop for a moment and look back and see why it's there. What is at that time? What is the author? What is Matthew trying to get us to look at? And, and Matthew is trying to get us to look back just a little bit in what just happened. So Matthew 18, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, we usually read this passage as the disciples jockeying for position, full of pride and arrogance, and maybe that's exactly what's going on here. I, maybe it is. But I think there's something else also going on here. I think that this question is actually a really good, legit question for the disciples to ask Jesus following all this stuff that's just happened. This is an amazing moment. And the disciples gather together because what's happening here for the Jewish people, as they were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, they were looking forward to the Messiah coming to free them from all oppression. Now, God had a much bigger picture in mind that the, that the people of the world were going to be freed from all of our sin oppression. But for the Jewish people, they were having the expectation that they would be freed from the Roman oppression that was happening that there would be a freedom from the oppression they were under, and that the golden age of the kingdom of God would be ushered in. And the disciples are seeing that happen. They see this transfiguration happen. They say the healings and the freedoms and the deliverances happening. Jesus says, we are sons of the king. And as they lean into this, the disciples are like, yep, I'm in. Just tell me who the greatest is. I'm in. And, and maybe they're wanting to be the greatest themselves, but maybe they're just trying to figure out how do we do this sons of the king thing? Tell us how we do this. So Jesus does this amazing thing here. He takes this opportunity to reveal again to his disciples that the kingdom of God is upside down. It's upside down. Here's what Jesus does. In verse 4, Jesus answers the question, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus is always doing things like this to show that his kingdom is different than every other kingdom. Now, at this point, you know, we love children. I mentioned it just a few minutes ago, not as an illustration or anything, but we love children. It's a sign of life. Children are a sign of life. But at this time in history, children were like the least of the least. The least of the least. And, and hear this next verse, hear this next um, sentence, and don't, whatever. But they were lower than even women at the time. You guys understand this, right? Women were not seen with much value during this time, but children were seen with even less value. Jesus turned that upside down. He raised both women and children up in their value in the time. But to equate the greatest in the kingdom with a child was to turn the whole system upside down. And then in the next few verses, so Jesus already, he turns it upside down saying, you've got to come like a little child. 
And then in the next few verses, Jesus changes the illustration. He begins talking about not a little child anymore. He begins to talk about little ones. And it's just a tiny little difference in language. And it seems to be no different to us at all. We would call a little child a little one. It wouldn't even matter, whatever. But Jesus is changing what he's speaking about here. And he begins to speak about those who have come to become like a little child. And he calls them little ones. What Jesus is speaking about here is the people that are beginning to come to him. The new converts. The new believers. Brothers and sisters in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is no longer speaking about children but is now speaking about the new believers and calls them little ones. The rest of chapter 18 focuses in, not on children, but on these new believers. And with that in mind, Jesus now shares a story about a shepherd. So beginning in verse 12, Jesus says, What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off. And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Now, again, it may seem like Jesus is speaking about children, but in fact, Jesus is talking about the new and immature believers, people who are coming to him and are new to their faith who wander off from time to time. In this situation, what does the good shepherd do? He goes after those that have wandered off. And what does that look like? What does that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Jesus answers that question in the very next verse. In verse 15, Jesus begins, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Now, you'll notice in this verse, if you've memorized it in a different translation or something like that, you'll notice that in this verse it says, if your brother or sister sins. You remember, may remember this verse as saying, if your brother or sister sins against you, but the against you part is implied. It's not a direct translation. So it could mean against you. It could also just mean if your brother or sister sins. The point that Jesus is making here is in direct relation to the story he just told about the shepherd and the sheep. If your brother or sister wanders off, leave the 99 and go and try to find them. This is how that parable plays out. Go and find your brother or sister and try to win them over. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Jesus goes on. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of, one or two, or of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now listen. Churches are, have used this passage of Scripture to deal with sin issues within the church for thousands of years. 
And that's fine. It's not a problem. But that's not why Jesus wrote this or, or, or said this. It's not why Matthew records it. It's not meant to be a legal uh, dialogue between a church and people on how to kick them out as quickly as possible. That's not the point that Jesus is trying to bring across here. Jesus is saying, listen, have some compassion for those who have wandered off. Do what you can to leave the 99 and go find them to bring them back. Do you hear the compassion of Jesus as he, as he tells the story of the shepherd? The shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one that has wandered off, to go and find them and bring them back. Jesus calls his disciples to have the same compassion on those who wander off. If your brother or sister sins, even if it's against you, go to them. Be compassionate like your heavenly father is compassionate to the one who has wandered off. It's not a legal process here. It's the heart of Jesus for people who have wandered off. Do all that you can to bring them back. Why? Matthew 18, 14. Your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Do everything you can to bring back those that have wandered off. See, the kingdom is upside down. The children are the greatest. Look out for these little ones. Leave the 99 and seek out the one who has wandered off. Go to your brother or sister who has wandered off and bring them back. Now, this has all been primer for Jesus' final illustration, in this case, about forgiveness and grace. So in Matthew chapter 18, now in verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, now, what did I just tell you guys? If you see a then, a therefore, or at that time, you always want to know that it connects back to what we just talked about, right? So here, then Peter comes to Jesus and asked, so, G so Peter is looking back to this story, the story of the shepherd and the, the, the de declaration that you should go find your friend who sinned against you and bring them back if you can. So Peter is referring back to this. And he says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Little narrator's note here. The Pharisees taught that you should forgive someone up to three times. So Peter is doubling what the Pharisees have taught and then adding one more, which is fantastic. Good job, Peter. That's awesome. Like you really are going above and beyond, but it's not quite far enough for Jesus. Because Jesus answers, Peter, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. So Jesus, of course, goes into a story, right? He wants Peter to get this. Not seven times, Peter, but 77 times. Let me tell you a story. And Jesus begins to tell this story. And he tells the story of a, of a king who brought before him one of his servants who owed him 10,000 bags of gold or 10,000 talents, depending on the translation. Now, I looked this up a couple of different places and tried to figure this out. In today's money, the best, the best guess that I can make on this, after studying this a bit, is that in today's money, this is estimated to be equivalent 
to $3.5 to $7 billion. $3.5 to $7 billion. It used to be millions, but I think inflation, right? So, which makes this next statement a bit of an understatement. This is, how the, this is how the story goes along. Jesus says, since he was not able to pay, you think? Like, that's an astronomical amount of money. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. What? Like, that's crazy. If I owed $3.5 to $7 billion and someone forgave me that debt, I think I'd just fall dead right there. Like, that's just insane. It's insane. The debt was canceled. It's outrageous. Jesus is using hyperbole. He is over-exaggerating in extraordinary measures in this story. It's like this guy had such a debt that it is, it is unbelievable how much debt this guy had. And it was just forgiven. $3.5 to $7 billion canceled because of the master's compassion. This verse here, the, the verse says, took pity on. In different translations, it's translated a little bit different. But it's the same Greek word, splanknizomai. Splanknizomai. You guys have heard this before. It's the word that is used to describe Jesus' compassion towards people when he goes to heal them or feed them or meet their needs. It's a gut-wrenching compassion. It's meant to splanknizomai. That sounds like guttish, doesn't it? Splanknizomai. My splanknizomai is acting up. It's this gut-wrenching compassion that's going on. So this master canceled the debt because of his splanknizomai, his gut-wrenching compassion. How awesome is that? But look what comes next. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. It's a pittance, really. A hundred silver coins is nothing compared to 10,000 talents or bags of gold. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. It's exactly the same scenario. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy? Again, it's the same word, splanknizomai. I don't know why they translate it so many different ways, but shouldn't you have had splanknizomai, gut-wrenching compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is a great story. Peter's like, how many times? And Jesus is like, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. And it's the, dis the disciples play the role of that first servant. 
They have been forgiven greatly, greatly. Jesus over-exaggerates their sin debt, saying it's, it's like $3.5 to $7 billion worth of sin debt that you have, almost incomprehensible. And God forgave your debt. He forgave your sin debt. It would be inconceivable for someone who had been, given, who had been forgiven that much to strangle someone over a hundred silver coins. But how often do we hold someone hostage with our unforgiveness? God's compassion goes out to those who have wandered away. If they have sinned, God says, go out there and win them back. Don't hold your unforgiveness against them. Don't make your unforgiveness a stumbling block for them coming back to the shepherd. We've been forgiven much. Shouldn't we forgive with the same compassion as our Heavenly Father? One of the best parts of this story is the way Jesus begins it. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? Jesus answers, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Okay, so hear me out. How often should I forgive my brother? What if they keep falling off the wagon? What if they keep hurting me? What if they wander off again and again and again and again? How often should I keep forgiving them? Well, at least 77. But I don't think Jesus intends for that number to be the, the edge number. I think what Jesus is saying is you just keep on forgiving them. The point Jesus is making is that you suck up your pride and you keep on forgiving now, a side note here, okay? So it has to be said, forgiveness does not necessarily mean access. I'll explain that. We are called to have compassion and to forgive people, even toxic people. We're called to pray for them. But we don't need to give toxic people access to our lives again. What I mean is this, that there are some people who you need to set up boundaries with. This is godly. There are some people you need to set up boundaries with. And there are some people that you need, to be, you need to be kept safe from. That's good. There are some people you need to be kept safe from. Forgiveness doesn't mean you continue to put yourself in danger. If you're in one of those places, please talk to somebody because we want to help you walk through that. So those type of things are for some pretty specific situations. Things like abuse and those kind of places. I am not advocating for you to continue to put yourself into a position where you're going to continue to be abused. Please don't hear that. But for most of the areas of forgiveness, we actually get our feelings hurt really easily sometimes. Somebody doesn't show up to a birthday party. Somebody forgets to call us. Somebody this or that or the other thing. They're usually very minor things. They feel like big things. Don't get me wrong. And sometimes big things do happen. Sometimes we see people return to old sin patterns and struggles. But we are called to not cancel people. We're called to forgive them and help them come back to the shepherd. And one of the things we need to remember is that at one point in time, you and I were one of the ones that Jesus left the 99 for. You and I were one of the ones Jesus left the 99 for. We were all in this same position. And potentially, we're in that position many times in our life. And God still loves you. He still loves you. 
even when you are the one who falls off the wagon once, twice, or a hundred times. And sometimes we need to forgive ourselves. Sometimes we're holding ourselves accountable for something that Jesus has already forgiven us for. Sometimes we need to learn to forgive ourselves and allow the shepherd to lead us back. My story is not like the story of those superhero testimony Christians that have an overnight complete makeover. If that's your story, I don't mean to make light of it. Jesus does miraculous things overnight, and that's a fantastic thing. But if your story is like mine, my story is full of fits and starts and setbacks. I want to encourage you. In Alcoholics Anonymous, there is something called a one-day or 24-hour chip. Do you know about these chips? So in, in AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, the, many of the programs use that, where, where, um, where the chip is used um, to signify when a person gets to a, a certain amount of time of sobriety. For instance, after one month of sobriety, they get a one-month chip. After three months, they get a three-month chip or a token, something like that. It's a great little gesture to, to help celebrate the milestones that people get to who are pressing into their recovery one day at a time. It's a way to celebrate how far they've come. But what I love so much about this is that there is a one-day chip. There's a one-day chip. It's meant to symbolize a fresh start. Maybe you had a three-month chip at one point, but you messed up. So here's your one-day chip. Let's get going. I mean, in some ways, it seems ridiculous, doesn't it? A one-day chip? But not really. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Why not celebrate one day sober? One day not falling back into brokenness. One day not using drugs. One day not yelling at your kids. One day not overeating. One day not looking at inappropriate things on the internet. Maybe we should celebrate the one day. Or on the other end, one day reading your Bible. One day doing something good for someone else. One day praying. Isn't this the, the grace of God? Isn't it the grace of God to celebrate the one day? Great job! You did one day. You did one day. You see, when Jesus told this story in Matthew 18, he started with saying, forgive your brother or sister 77 times. That's 77 one-day chips. 77 do-overs. 77, you messed up. Here's your one-day chip. Let's get going again. Look, if you're that person who needs to hear about God's grace 77 times over, here it is. God still loves you, even when you mess up 77 times. He still loves you, and more, and more, and more. 3.5 to $7 billion worth, again and again. And if you're that person who needs to hear about God's grace towards others 77 times over, here it is. God calls you to still forgive them 77 times and more. Here's to God's grace and his forgiveness, which is way greater than we could possibly comprehend. Here's to your one-day chip. So what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? He forgave us our incomprehensible Three to seven billion dollar debt. 
And he continues to do so again and again. He continues to forgive us. There's grace for that. It may not be God's best for you or his highest desire, but oh goodness, he is good at forgiveness. So what real intentional and actionable difference does that make in how I live my life today? Perhaps you need to forgive someone. Perhaps you need to forgive yourself. Would you just close your eyes for a moment with me? Even you at home, just close your eyes. Stop what you're doing for a moment and just close your eyes for a moment. And I want you just to ask this question in your own head. Just ask this question. Holy Spirit, who do I need to forgive today? Holy Spirit, who do I need to forgive today? And just sit in that question for just a moment. Whatever name you just came up with, I think it might be time for a one-day chip. It's time for forgiveness and for grace. If you need help with what that looks like or or how you can walk that out, um, one of us pastors would love to chat with you. One of the elders would love to chat with you as well. We even have uh, these little forgiveness tool bookmarks that help you walk through forgiveness. We have a spiritual help Um, table in the foyer that has lots of different things if you're looking to grow in your walk with Christ. And these are on that table as well. So if you want to grab these, uh, those are available to you. Are they on an app too? Does anybody know if they're on their app? It's not on our app, but um, we've got it. uh, We've got it in person. Maybe we'll try to get it up on our app. Okay. So we'll try to get this spiritual uh, forgiveness tool bookmark up on our app. Would you stand with me? We're going to close off with our closing song, and then I'll come back up for a benediction. His forgiveness is just so good. It's so good. His forgiveness is just so good. It's so good. It's incomprehensible what Jesus has done for us. Incomprehensible what Jesus has done for us. If you've not experienced that forgiveness before, if you're in a place where you're like, I've heard about Jesus, I think I might know who Jesus is, but I've never received forgiveness for myself, then just receive it. He comes to give it freely. It's, It's like you stood before the king and said, I've got three and a half to seven billion dollars of sin cost debt right now. And when we come to Jesus, we say, Jesus, would you forgive me? And out of his great compassion, he loves to forgive. So if you've not come to Jesus before, come to Jesus today. Come to him and say, Jesus, here I am. Here I am. And if you've been following Jesus for a while, but you feel the burden of that sin weighing you down, you've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. Stop weighing yourself down with that. I mean, maybe a life change needs to happen for sure. But the sin has been paid for. You've been forgiven your great debt. And if you've got someone that you are holding unforgiveness against, stop it. Just stop it. Just be done with it. Give forgiveness the way that you've been given forgiveness. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to remove our sin debt. That we are forgiven that the power of darkness over us has been broken and that we've been set free. 
Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. And Jesus, thank you for willingly dying on the cross. And thank you for calling us to also forgive others. And Holy Spirit, we know that we can't possibly do this without your strength. So right now, just as you fill your people, would you give strength to your people, the strength they need to be able to give the forgiveness like you give it, Jesus. Help us to forgive. Help us to forgive. Help us to have grace for those around us. Help us, Lord, even to leave the 99 to go find the one that's wandered off. So we love you, Jesus. We love you, Heavenly Father. We love you, Holy Spirit. We are so thankful for who you are and what you've done for us. Yeah, you are good. You're good. We love you. We pray these things in your powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.